0: First of all, I I really think he's one of the best friends that anybody could want to have. He checks on you, he looks out for you, he calls you, um, he asks tough questions. That's a really good thing about him. And he's just dang funny, don't you think? Now, I know he's listening to the podcast before he gets back. So, y'all just, he'd be so proud of you. There's like 7,000 people in here today, Chad. It's an incredible day. And so, when you're listening to this, I just want you to know they love you so much that they show up in droves when you're gone. And that's fantastic. Um I I had so much fun listening to Chad's message from last week on uh James 3:13 through 18 and uh I cannot get the the drying machine Reality of Chad out of my mind <laughs> that he hid in there and locked himself in that thing and anybody in the world could have turned that over and uh, we might not have Chad today if that hadn't been the case so' uh, he's, he's just one of the most brilliant expositors of scripture and and real and personal and so I just thank you Chad whenever you listen to this uh, for letting me have opportunity to speak to your amazing people they've all introduced themselves to me and they've told me how awesome you are and how much they love open your kids and it's just a really neat thing to be a part of. So here's the deal. Uh, my name's Scott Kendig. I am a pastor here at CBC in San Antonio. I was um I've been in student ministry most of my life, but now I'm in this role of an executive pastor. You feel like you've almost left ministry when you be an, go to be an executive pastor. But here's what I know about me, and I wonder if you know this about you. I am one step from stupid all the time. Anybody with me? Are, can you be with me on that? Like, I need lots of reinforcement. Like, I'll be in the fetal position up here if you guys don't come with me on this journey. So I'm just, just telling you in advance, it's okay for you to hoop and holler and amen and, and raise your hand, do all that kind of stuff with me. But I'm one step from stupid all the time all the time. My mom told me that on a regular basis as a kid growing up. I I, I had testosterone and she didn't. So a lot of things that we men do, it just, we, women don't understand. They they don't get it. And, you know, we have moments of brilliance followed by moments of stupidity. That's the way, that's the way man works. That's the way we, we do. And so since I know that, I love it when a passage is absolutely so clear as what james given us in in james chapter four we're we 're looking at wisdom leading to friendship lead, leading to speech today that 's what we that's what we 're dealing with and and you know, I know you know James is the brother of Jesus, and I know that you you might know this do you know what his nickname was? It was camel knees because he prayed so much that his knees looked like um, just a camel's knees, just worn out from being on his knees all the time. He had that reputation. Um, he didn't really believe in Jesus when he was the brother of Jesus, <laughs> and that was it. But something happened to James in his life, and he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem through, through very, very difficult times. And, and he was actually one of the martyrs. He was stoned to death. Um, for standing up for Jesus and not recanting Jesus. So it's great that somebody that's that close to Jesus... And, and watched him growing up and didn't buy it. And then something happened after the resurrection and he did buy it. And he loves like these two passages. He loves the Sermon on the Mount and he loves Proverbs. And you can kind of feel that in this book when you read it. It's, it's really neat. It's, it's more like sort of Proverbs from a very practical. So this helps me because I'm one step from stupid all the time. Don't you like it when Scripture is just incredibly practical? I, I, I love that. And where Chad was last week, he was in the two, the two uh, pictures of wisdom that you had. And so I want us just to remember this and rewind this for just a second. What he talked to us about, just in case you weren't here last week, is that there's two kinds of wisdom. There's the kind of wisdom that you get from God. And that's good wisdom. And there's the kind of wisdom that you can get from the world. And... And the wisdom that you can get from the world is, is really the enemy's category. So, so what we're watching unfold as we move into friendship and we move into speech, we're looking at the two different ways of wisdom that we saw in 3.13-18 showing up practically in James four. Verses 1 through 12. That's what we're, what's, what we're actually looking at. So I want to build like a, a matrix on stage. Okay, so this is the horizontal matrix and this is, the, this is the vertical matrix. And so the way we in the world try to get ahead is we, we develop these two things. Um, skills over here in the, the lower left-hand quadrant and, and knowledge in the right-hand quadrant. So when you have a, a resume, you build your resume primarily on these are the skills that I have, this is the stuff that I know. And then people look at that and they interview you and they decide if you're right for the job. Now, there's this other quadrant over here in the bottom right-hand corner where if you're, if you're low, low skill and low knowledge, that makes us, the world looks at us often As believers, and thinks that we have nothing to offer them. As a matter of fact, they would call us sometimes incompetent and ignorant because the things that you guys talk to we don't understand, but it's just because they're not spiritually discerned. They don't know Jesus. But over here in this top right quadrant, as you would look at it, what we discover is we do have skills and we do have knowledge, but what we also have is a relationship with God through Jesus. And so what happens is God adds revelation how to use your skills and, and how you use your skills moves from just skills to actual power because God's showing you how to use your skills. And then when you have knowledge and you can teach, that's a great thing to teach. But the reality is that God adds revelation to us through his word and the way that he leads us by his spirit and, and we get wisdom so, so the real marker of the church is that we are the people who have access to the wisdom and power of God does that make sense? that intuitively just feels right? and so where the world might look at us and think we're ignorant and incompetent what, what James is laying down for us is there's a kind of wisdom from God that actually helps the kingdom come to Lake Jackson as it is in heaven. And he does that in you, and he does that through you by making his wisdom available to you. So, so as believers in Jesus, we want as much wisdom as we can get. And, and sometimes we come to church and we just want a good outline. You know, we just want to just gain a little more knowledge so that we can pass knowledge on. But God's desire is always going to be to add revelation to that so that it's not just knowledge, but it's, but it's wisdom. And it's not just skills. He adds revelation to that. And so it's power. And he never wants his church to look like people who are stuck in ignorance and incompetence when wisdom and power is available to us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? God wants to give you all of the resources of heaven so that we can be the people that when stuff goes wrong out there in the world, they want to run to us. They want to come to us and they want to say, how is it that in the midst of the difficulties that you have, I still see wisdom and power coming out of you? It looks like you're having troubles and God's not helping you with it. They just don't have the inside man on the inside. And they don't understand how comforting it is to have the inside man, Jesus, living incarnated in you, in flesh. So so we're going to pick up where Chad left. We're going to keep pressing in. And that review of last week, if I could just give you just a a quick sentence, there's a kind of wisdom that fuels worldly goals. And it comes straight from our enemy, the devil. Uh, It makes me me me-centered rather than others centered rather than god centered rather than kingdom centered and and we don't need more of the the worldly wisdom i do think it's it's good to be worldly wise because you guys have read that passage which says be wise as a what serpent and as gentle as a what a dove so so we use wisdom and power not as a hammer we use it as the kindness of god leading men to repentance and and women to repentance. But there's a different kind of wisdom that comes from God, and that comes straight from our king to build his kingdom. Like we said, in Lake Jackson as it is in heaven. You are a church that God is counting on to actually change the climate of this community. And when the kingdom comes, it changes things. It changes cities. It changes the poverty meter in your community. It changes human trafficking in places. It changes things. And so when we start living out the Christ life based on the wisdom and the power of God, we begin to see things happen. And the practical reality of this is that there's... There's two pictures of friendship that we pick up in in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. We're going to take these a chunk at a time. And so these are two pictures of friendship. And James, as the brother of Jesus, is warning us and and guarding us from settling for worldly wisdom. So in chapter chapter 4, verse 1, we read this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that... Your passions are at war within you. Have any of you felt like there's a war going on inside of you every now and then? Maybe it happens every four years when we elect a president, you know? <laughs> Maybe it happens every two years when we elect people who are representing us and, and we begin to think through this, this difficult reality of, hey, there's reasons to quarrel. I, I had the greatest talk with my kids before, before Thanksgiving. Um, and just so you know, pray for my dad. He had, uh, the week before Thanksgiving, a massive heart attack and three bypass heart surgery. And uh, we didn't know what the outcome would be. And the beautiful side of that is on Tuesday of this week, they pulled out the intubation tube and he was sharp as a tack. And I'm so thankful to God for that. Um, and it's hard for me to be away from him now, but he's it, we're going to go see him very soon. But But the reality is... The battle that goes on inside of us shows up outside of us. Does that make sense? So, so when I'm at when I'm not at peace with me and with God, I'm pretty much not at peace with anybody. I had a stupid argument this week. Anybody have a stupid argument? Uh, like, I, I, mean, I need lots of reinforcement. So, even if not, just raise all of your hands. It's great. I, the buses will wait. The, thank you for all the hands. Okay. So, so the reality is. Um, I had a lot of turmoil going on in me from, from three weeks of really hard ministry with very little sleep, about three to four hours of sleep a night on a regular basis. Got the call, went, spent time with my dad. Obviously didn't sleep a whole lot there. And I, obviously I've been super concerned. So I was just tired. And, and I, you know how when you get hungry and tired, you get hangry? And you get so hangry that just anybody that says anything that you don't like, instead of being the normal, sweet, kind, loving Scott that I always am, um, I end up being the, the Scott that's like so irritated at everything anybody does. I'm one of those guys that sits on the plane... And, and I can hear everybody who's eating and chewing things on the plane. And, and I want to, like, empty the plane. That's what I want to do. Uh, and I wouldn't care if we just open the door and let them all fly out. That's that. And so I get in those moments and those spaces where I, I just get hangry. And, and what I'm doing is I'm saying the way that I feel should dictate the way these other people who may not know Jesus are going to engage Jesus. Because they see my Bible... <laughs> On the, on the airplane. Little, little fold out tray. And, and they, they look at me. And they're looking for a reason. To hope for something that might be better. But because I've allowed myself to be hangry. Because I'm tired. And I'm hungry. And I'm worried about dad. And I'm worried about all these other things. Rather than trusting that we have a God. Who is a good, good father to us. Who really wants to constantly give us grace. So. When we look at this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war inside of you? Jesus came to set peace in your heart. So that there wouldn't be war inside of you. And no matter what's going wrong. God is still in the midst of whatever your wrongness is in this moment. And, and you can say I don't like what's going on around me. But I love what's going on in me. As Jesus continues to bring peace into my heart. Into my soul. Now how many of you right now in, this, in your walk with Jesus. You're in this really peaceful place. You and he are walking really closely together. You, you sense his Presence in your life, you pray and he's answering questions. How many of you are are walking in that moment? This is another time where you just raise your hand and just lie in church. It's great, it's fantastic. All right, Um, because I need y'all to raise hands. Okay, so so when you move on to verse two, you see it just like deepen a little bit. Your desire, you desire and do not have, so you so you murder. You know the most powerful. Reality in scripture we find in Genesis 1, like 26 through 29, where God tells us we're created in his image, in his likeness. So we can have fellowship with him. And the fact that we're created in his image and his likeness means we're infinitely valuable. The problem is in Genesis 3, we got totally messed up. So we might be infinitely valuable, but we're also totally messed up. So, so we desire, and when we can't have what we desire, we slander people. We, we covet and can't get the things we want from the world. So, so you fight and quarrel, and you do not have because you do not ask. We have a Father that when we need things, we can ask, and He can say one of three things, right? He can say yes, He can say no, and He can say what? Hang out. Just hang out. Just be with me. Being with me is what you need. So if waiting is the only answer I can give you that makes you be with me, then we're just going to wait together. We're going to be together. We're going we're to help this quarreling that's in your soul work so that you learn to ask me. You learn to have camel knees. You get on your knees like James. And you say, Lord, I don't know what's going on in my life, but I just need to be with you. Are there times in your prayer where... You don't have words for Jesus, but you're just with Jesus. Because you don't know what to say, and the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that we wouldn't understand. So verse 3, you ask me because you ask wrongly. So you can you not ask and not get from God, but you can also ask amiss. You can ask for the wrong things. Like, I really, really one day want a bright yellow Jeep. I really do. I, I hate to admit that to you, but I really do. It's just something that as a kid, I saw a guy with a bright yellow Jeep, and I thought that's the coolest thing in the world. One day I'm going to have one of those when I end up having kids that are all out of college and all out of master's degrees and we've married off all of our daughters maybe when I'm a 7,000 years old I'll actually have a yellow Jeep and I really want a yellow Jeep but I don't think asking Jesus for a yellow Jeep is the best thing for me to ask him for I want to ask him to do a work in my daughter's life that she'll know who the guy is when it's time to get married I want to ask for meaty things when my sweet granddaughter Georgia who's 18 months old and absolutely precious and her, her, her dad and her stepmom actually decide to move back, to, move into San Antonio so I can hold her more frequently. Like I ask for really substantive things like that. And so, so what we're looking at is there's friendship with the world that helps us deal with our quarrels and our selfishness and our desires that are amiss and then there's then there's friendship with God see friendship with the world looks like this I have I have a desire issue anybody with me okay again like there we go all right I have a desire issue I want things I shouldn't want um, I want mine I want more, and I want satisfaction me and Mick Jagger well, we want satisfaction all right so the second thing is I I, we, we, I'm putting us together in, I have a please me issue. I think the world is here to please me. <laughs> Sometimes I even tell God, I think he's here to please me. Can can you, can I do that? Like, are, are y'all all judging me right now? So, all right, so no no pastor shaming, okay? So, I, I have a please me issue. I want earthly pleasures. And I want more. I, I really want... I'm selfish the way I look at it. And the last one is, I, I, we are prone to wander, aren't we? We're prone to wander away from God. But the beauty is that God has a heart for you. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6. Here we go. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here's what God's saying in these three verses. In every way I possibly can, I am pursuing you. I'm coming after you. Even when you're running from me, I'm already in front of you ready to catch you. That's how fast I am. And since I'm already in front of you ready to catch you, we, what we see is the gracious desire of a God who wants to pursue you and know you and you know Him in an intimate way so that the kingdom can come to you because the, the, the reality of the kingdom coming to Lake Jackson is it coming to God's people in fullness first. it's a beautiful thing I, I even think when, when creation fell in Genesis 3 when we talked about that I think the kingdom that was prepared for us in garden cried out so I, I think when the kingdom comes in a community that God begins fixing things that we don't know why in the world he would fix those things Why he turns an economy in a village in a third world country upside down because the chief of the village comes to Jesus. And the kingdom begins to shape what's happening. And James' heart for the kingdom is motivated by this longing hope for an eternal relationship. God doesn't settle for just knowing you, the you that you are right now. He wants a relationship with you for all all of eternity and he's not just pursuing you graciously with his desire and he's not just motivated for a long eternal satisfaction he he it results in the fact that we come under submission and the authority of god because he is so good it's not like we have to love him and have to obey him it's that we want to love him and we want to obey him And when people see the want to of obedience with God, they can follow your imitation. And you become a a person worthy of imitation. So so what does that actually practically look like for you? That's when we get to verses 7 through 10. And here's what it says. These are the how-tos of becoming... The closest friend with God you can be and they're they're like rapid fire it, it's like it's like ammunition in a clip that can come to you quickly and it's easy to understand here's what he says submit yourselves therefore to God so friendship with God starts with first submitting yourself to him and saying God I'm not in charge of my life you are in charge of my life And I will make decisions as you have given me wisdom, but I will seek counsel because Scripture tells me to do that so I can continue to walk in wisdom and I can extend wisdom through other people and then people can see the value and benefit of wisdom in my life. So that starts with submit yourselves therefore to God and it moves on with the second piece. If you submit yourself to God, the next piece is for you to resist the devil and what's it say he's going to do? If you resist the devil, what's Scripture say? The devil's going to do what? Flee. He's going to take off. He can't be in a place where you're submitting crazy. It drives him nuts. He's starting to see wisdom and power form in your life. And and he's starting to see a church that's not defined by ignorance and incompetence anymore. And what begins to happen is there's like a place where you begin to sense this is a a space of freedom because God's people come here. And when God's people come here, they hear from Him. They do what He says. And we help each other walk in that way. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we resist the devil forcefully, and we seek God passionately. Passionately. Listen, when I got married, I'll be honest with you, I was a guy. I was more interested in the honeymoon than I was in the marriage. In the wedding ceremony. My wife was... was, Planning her her wedding ceremony from kindergarten, like she knew everything that was going to happen. My job was just to say yes, dear. I I love that, but but my my passion for the love of my life was an amazing thing. And walking into the honeymoon, I thought, man, this is going to be great. We're going to love this. Food poisoning on the second day of the honeymoon. Not just food poisoning, botulism. Okay, I lost twenty one pounds in four days because somebody put an old can of mushrooms with with spaghetti supplies. And I didn't know it, and Kim wasn't hungry, so she didn't eat it. So she just got to watch me, you know, be a fountain from many places. And and that fountain was like, okay, well, wow, I I was so interested in this moment. And and as a man, I'm off... Because it is about the union of two people coming together in covenant, the way we come into covenant with God. And, and I'm just thinking about the honeymoon. Now, all husbands in the room agree with me. You were thinking about the honeymoon too, right? How many of you? Where are you? All right. Oh, see, you're afraid to... Oh, no, honey, it was all about you. You're sitting beside her. I get it. But, but the reality was, if we would seek God as passionately as we as men seek the honeymoon... It would change the dynamic of a community. If it was just a handful of people, it would change the climate that we live in. So, we keep going down. Here's what it says after resist the devil and he will flee you. Draw near to God. And what will God do when you draw near to him? What does this promise that God will do for you? He will draw near to you. Draw closer to God and God will draw near to you. He comes close to you. It's hard for the enemy to mess with you a whole lot when he's got to get through Jesus to get to you because you're walking so closely and so tightly with Him. This, this is an extension of drawing near to God and he'll draw near to you. But it says, cleanse your hands. Your hands are on the outside of you. Watch this. Clean your hands. So clean clean the outside of you, you sinners. And then purify your hearts. Clean the inside of you. As a matter of fact, don't you clean the inside of you. As I'm living in you, cooperate with me as I clean the inside of you. That's what Jesus is actually looking and saying to us. that so we can count on him to be the cleaner inside of our Our heart. He is doing work in us just because we're drawing near to Him. We're submitting ourselves to Him. We're resisting the devil. And He's drawing near to us and we we begin to cleanse our hands. And He begins to cleanse our hearts. Why does He have to do that? Because we're double-minded. We want to live down here in ignorant and incompetent sometimes when wisdom and power is available to us all of the time. All of the time. God's good grace is available to us all of the time. Then this is this is one of those verses, it's hard to read. You get to this place and you just go, wow, this doesn't sound fun. And I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so if it doesn't sound fun, it must not be biblical, right? Um, But it is biblical. But here's what it says in verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, here's here's what this passage is saying. There are things in the world that are not right, and it should bother us to the core of who we are. The fact that I live in a city that's 65% Spanish speaking, first generation, second generation, third generation, but they really don't have a voice in our city. That's not right. That's not okay. It's not okay that every day people fly into San Antonio and fly out with 11-year-old girls to other parts of the world in human trafficking because what's happening at our border is coming in and making more people more marginalized. We need to weep over the systematic sin and social justice issues that are all around us. In San Antonio, there's three streets in the city. That before segregation, that's where black people lived. That's where Hispanic people lived. That's where immigrants new to the country lived. In, in the 40s, they eliminated that as a possibility. But do you want to know where poverty is still centered in San Antonio, Texas? On those three streets. That's a system of injustice. And that's where the church is called in to say, what, we, what can we do not to give equality but to bring equity? Two people. There are places where the church has been harsh and difficult with people who have sin issues. Here's what I, I need to say to you. We need to weep over systematic sin, but we need to love over the people who've been fallen into that sin and into those choices and we need to do this. I get frustrated on a like every other week basis we get a call from the newspaper in our city and it always lands on my desk it's like hey we need your opinion on this issue what do you feel about immigrants what do you feel about lgbt issues what do you feel about women being empowered in the church what do you feel about all these sorts of things and our answer is the same t- same thing all the time we go back to genesis 1 through 29 and we say all people are created by god people so we are therefore by nature for all people if immigrants come in and we need to feed them, we will feed them. If, if politicians come up and make laws about them, we will pray for the politicians the way Scripture tells us to pray for the politicians. We love all people. We don't love some people. We love all people. And if, if we were honest in this room, we would all say that we are marginalized in some way. All of us are marginalized in some way. You know that you're messed up. You're one step from stupid all the time, right? We can say that we, honestly. With a little bit of laughter. And then we can catalog. Like uh, right now in my mind. I want to tell you stories of how stupid I am. Because they're funny now. They weren't funny at the time. But they're hilarious now. So when we put these together. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning. and, And your joy to gloom. What we see is that we can, tr- we can treat sin seriously. It's, it's something that we need to look at. When people are caught and trapped in that, we need to rescue them. You know, at 9 11, I was in New York a couple weeks ago, and in the process of being at 9 11, we watched the film again, sitting in the museum. And we saw everybody else running away from the buildings while the first responders were running to the buildings with hats on. That's who we are in this community. That's who we are in Lake Jackson. That's what we want to be. And then verse 10 says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Sometimes I have a false idea of being exalted, like after a sermon, I mean, if at least three hundred people don't come up and tell me I did a great job, I mean, that's it's a horrible. Day. I'm just kidding, um, but in reality, that's kind of the way we treat being exalted. Somebody like pumping you up for a moment and saying, "Hey, man, that was that was great." Problem is, it lasts that long. But when God exalts you, you never go back down. You never go back down because He doesn't change. He's immutable he, he he's always who he is so god pursues you and then he tells you how to be his friend resist him resist the devil submit to god seek god pursue purity treat sin seriously trust god completely then there's these last two verses two pictures of speech And these pictures of of speech are just two verses, and they're very quick. It says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. You know what a judge does? He stands back objectively and looks at the situation, and he makes decisions. What the scripture is telling us not to do is not to turn our discernment off. What it's telling us is that there's a person that's involved. There's a person involved created in the image of God. Do you know that atheists created in the image of God are just as valuable to God as believers who are following God? He desperately wants a relationship with them. But they're on the other side of of being able to receive a Jesus that makes all things right. We, we have to see from both of these angles. So, so the reality is that in speech, in two pictures of speech, when, when we step into speaking evil against others, slandering others, just being difficult with others, what happens is it breaks down relationships. Relationships. And as relationships start to break down, then everything we build up on the pursuing God thing starts to fall apart. Why is it that churches are known for arguing? There can be hundreds of churches doing great things in the community. And there can be one church that is in, on the news and in and chaos and, and mess. And all the world talks about is that one church as an example of all churches. That's not what it is. We need to kind of overwhelm the community of God. Do you all do y'all know the biggest farce in all of human history is, is movie theaters? Movie theaters don't make money off of the tickets. So you want to know why you pay $14 for a bucket of popcorn? Because they don't get ticket money. So what they have to do is create an environment inside your world in the theater where there's going to be something that smells really buttery and rich and amazing. And you tell your family there's no way we're going to go go in there and buy a $14 bucket of popcorn. But then you walk in and you smell it and you go, I have to have popcorn. There's, there's no way. It's not like not even going to a movie. It's like going to a ballpark and not getting a hot dog. You've got to have popcorn at that place. And then somehow, because the, there's so much salt on the popcorn, now you have to buy the $8 tub of Coke. So, so what we're doing in the church is we're saying that you, not services, not programming, but you, the ecclesia, the people of God, in relationship with each other, You are the buttery popcorn that people see, that they go, that's the life I want. That's the life I need. And then verse 12 says this, there's only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and to destroy, but who, who are you to judge your neighbor? So worldly speech discourages people and it dishonors God, but godly speech encourages people, and it exalts God. As a good leader, as a good father. So, so how do you do this? Here's here's the here's the reality. Um, gospel integration creates integrity. Gospel integration creates spiritual integrity. So we study the Bible. We come together as people of God. We talk with one another in small groups, in discipleship settings about what God is teaching us. So so here's here's what I, I want to wrap up is how does wisdom friendship speech pattern of this passage going up from three hundred thirteen to four hundred twelve, what does it really mean for us? Here's here's what I think it means. The wisdom freedom speech pattern affects your relationships with others and with God so here's some questions are you moving closer to God or to the world it's just a good measurement it's a good thing to just kind of say where am I I have a 20 20 minute meeting with myself it's a stand up meeting and I look in the mirror and I talk to myself and I ask this question am I moving closer to God this week or am I moving closer to the world second thing is are you moving closer to believers? Is your family becoming sweet? In the New Testament, it was a really sweet thing when what was happening is they would go to the temple and then when they'd go from house to house and when persecution came up, they pretty much went from house to house and the church spread between um, the time of of post Pentecost to 365 to 100 from 120 people in an upper room to half of the population of the known planet in their homes and, and there's this term from house to house is the word oikos and oikos means it's not Greek yogurt as much as you would like to think it is uh, it is Greek yogurt but that's not the Bible word the, the word oikos is it means the influence of this household Anybody under the influence of this household is a part of this family. And that's where church and ecclesia comes from. That's why I'm gonna leave here today and go to my house and at 6.30, there'll be 40 people in my house, half of whom I don't know, that I can sit. And, and here's what they would do is when they would go from house to house, they would have a fire pit in one of the houses and that was the symbol of, of red hot relationship. And they would take fire from this house and they would take it to the next house. So when there wasn't enough room in our house, now there would be a fire in another house. And there would be room for everybody who wanted to come around the fire. So so what we're, what we're looking at is, are you getting closer to other believers? The, th- the fourth, third thing is this. Are you graciously moving closer to unbelievers? This community, if it's like most every other community is at least 80% unchurched. And your homes could be a great place for a few of your neighbors that you don't know just to get to know them. I'm not even talking about doing Bible study with them. I'm talking about just knowing who they are. And then... They'll begin to trust you because they see wisdom and power in your life instead of ignorance and incompetence in their life. And they'll want to make the journey from ignorance and incompetence to wisdom and power. And you are the key to that. The last thing is God moving lost people closer to this spiritual family through you because the gospel moves to people through people. We can program it out as much as we want to and we'll get a little bit of effect with that. But this community of, like I said, Chad, 800 people, uh, 7, 000, eight hundred people, 7,000, 8,000 people in this room are going to go back into their neighborhoods, and they're going to be demonstrating the gospel because gospel integration equals spiritual integrity. Does that make sense? We have to integrate it into our life so that we become... God's people of integrity and, and we can be saved and have him living inside of us all the time but not taking advantage of all the resources that he wants to put at our disposal so, so here's, here's my, my personal gospel integration challenge for you can you regularly look at somebody in your life whether it's a mentor or a friend or a discipler or a teacher or somebody that's with you it can be two friends it doesn't have to be one that's in authority over the other but what, just answer this question what is God teaching you right now What is he teaching you right now i don't want to know what he's teaching the church i don't want to know what he's teaching everybody else that you know i don't want to know whose podcast is the best podcast what i want to know is what is god personally teaching to you right now second question what are you going to do about it so if god's teaching you something just take one tiny little step toward what he's teaching you just one step this is what movement is by the way we think movement is thousands of people showing up at the same time. Movement is actually just a little step at a time. That's all it is. There's a whole lot of places where we get together with lots of people, and there's a lot of motion, but there's not much movement. And we're asking for the moments of movement to happen. And These questions are, are, are stirring that where we are in San Antonio. What is God teaching you? What are you going to do about it? And the third is, how can the community encourage you in it? How can this... Community, say, I know what God's teaching you, and I'm going to help you hold you accountable to the positive things God's calling you to, not the dumb things that we occasionally get into that have been part of the kind of slander and, and the kind of talk that tears other people down. If you get so busy doing the things that God is calling you to do, you won't have time to do the dumb things that God's not calling you to do. And that's a beautiful thing. How many of y'all are ready for me to shut up? <laughs> I, I just, I, I love being with you and I love being with a friend's church and, and I love having an opportunity to see why he speaks so highly of you. But here's, here's the big question. If there's anybody in here who doesn't know Jesus, we're gonna sing, we're gonna come together, we're gonna worship, and I'll be hanging out in the back. And if you wanna talk about that, I would love to just talk about that with you. But if, if that's not the case in your life, what I want to encourage you to do during this time of worship is to begin thinking, hey, this is a good practice session for us. What is God teaching me right now? And kind of form it in your head to a really small sentence. Because if you put it into a paragraph, you won't be able to do it. <laughs> but a really small sentence. This is what God's teaching me right now. And and maybe just look at somebody and tell them, this is what God's teaching me right now as a starting point. And then... Ask them, what are they going to do about it? Ask it back. And then think, how could I help others encourage me to pursue gospel integration by just doing the single little thing God's calling me to right now? Does that make sense? That's how communities, okay, so sometimes people ask us at at San Antonio, hey, 13,000 people on a weekend and five services. Like, how in the world do y'all do all that? I don't know. We're tired all the time. (laughs) We're tired all the time. But the thing that's going on more that's more important is these three questions are penetrating friendships and communities that are forming around these three questions in our body. And people are growing consistently because they're not just getting a word from a pastor. They're hearing directly from God. And as they hear directly from God, it builds the community. And then ignorance and competence go away. And wisdom and power shines. And they, everybody knows that doesn't come from you. That could only come from God. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful for who you are. We ask you to press into us in these few moments. I know I've gone longer than I should. And, and I ask you to let the things that matter stick in our souls. And Lord, if you are moving on the heart of someone here, we pray that you would give them the courage just to come back and say to me, I really do want a relationship with Jesus. And then help the rest of us integrate what you're teaching us today. In Jesus' name, amen.